and Merry Christmas. Kids, very good. Kids, that, that is an amazing Christmas song. It is a song that's shouting, we have some news that is worth being told, isn't it? Yeah? Kids, do you see me? Hey, I'm going to make a promise to you, and it's not a preacher promise. It's a real promise that I'm not going to go very long. It's a Dawson promise, not a preacher promise. Hey, I want the kids to pay attention for a second because we're going to do something throughout my short, like I said, short little talk. We are going to be talking about what you just sang about. And in Luke 2, there's this amazing phrase. It says that there is good news of great joy. So when I say good news of you, and everyone can help, say great joy. Let's try it. Good news of great joy. Let's read this passage from Luke 2. And while they were there, they is Mary and Joseph. The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And that's right. And laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, let's practice it, good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and here we get the first song sung over Jesus being born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Like Alex said, this moment in history, it's kind of, I'd call it like the hinge. You know what a hinge is? Like a door hinge. This is the hinge on which all of history moves, this moment. This moment when Jesus comes, stays, dies, rises again for us. It's the center. And it's the moment where we, where we get, are you ready? Good news of great joy. When I was little, I lived in... Eastern Europe, and I was the oldest of eight kids. And Christmas Eve in that country was the time when you opened presents in the evening. For eight kids to try to wait all day long. Who else opens their presents on Christmas Eve? Anybody here? Maybe a few people. Yeah, maybe one. 
For eight kids to wait to open presents all day long is very difficult. So it was my job, as was the job of the older kids, to entertain the rest so that we could make it through. Now, there was one rule around Christmas time, and that was this. You don't touch the Christmas tree because we had all these inherited ornaments from, like, grandmas and grandpas, and uh, my parents loved going to, like, thrift shops in Vienna and Budapest and buying these ancient, very breakable ornaments. And, like, honestly, if you saw a picture of our Christmas tree in a lineup of, like, 10 Christmas trees, and you're like, which Christmas tree should we not put in a house with eight kids? Ours would win for sure. It was so, and we even had like real candles that we lit like real flames. I mean, surprise, we're still alive. So one of the games that we played on Christmas Eve waiting was hide and seek. Classic. Don't make it too difficult for the little ones. You love it. Are you, how old are you? Four. So my little sister, age three, thought I'll do my best to honor the one rule, not to touch the tree, but wouldn't behind the tree be the best place to hide? And so she tucked her little rolly self up behind the tree and did her best. I was off in the corner looking over, and I knew that this was not going to end well. And sure enough, the tree comes crashing down with all of these ancient antique ornaments And my four-year-old sister, your age, okay, so three-year-old one toppled it, but the four-year-old one is the one who went down in history, Joan's family history, with this quote. She comes in, and she comes, and she looks at my three-year-old sister, and she says, you've ruined it. You have ruined Christmas. And every year since then, we wait for someone to slightly mess up, do something, and we say, you've ruined it. You've ruined Christmas. To make a kind of giant, slightly cliche leap from our evergreen trees that we strangely put in our living rooms and decorate to one of the most important, one of probably two of the most important trees in history Kids, another question for you. In the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning, if you've been a part of the church, our church community, maybe you've heard this story, there was one rule for that first family about a tree. What was the rule? Do you remember? One rule about a tree. Not to eat the fruit, right? Don't eat the fruit off the tree. Similar to our one rule, there's this one simple rule. And what did Adam and Eve do? Yeah. I think if my four-year-old sister had been able to walk into the garden on on that day, it would have been very plausible that she would have looked at Adam and Eve and said, you've ruined it. You've ruined it. And, and ever since then, every day, every person, every son of Adam and daughter of Eve, we do the same thing. We reach trying to understand and what is good and evil and, and determine what is good and evil for ourselves. And now the question that I want to ask is, I know you all, all your stomachs dropped when 
My sister accused her and said, you've ruined it. My question is, what is our heavenly father's response to you've ruined it? Well, Christmas is about the father's response. Christmas sets the tone for the father's response. What is that phrase in Luke 2 that I had us repeat? Is it, is it, does the angel come and say, well... I bring you good news and bad news. Which do you want first? No. Does he say, does he say, I bring you some news of, we'll see, potential hope? Does he say, I bring you an interesting update on a possible solution to this problem? No. What does he say? Let's, let's do it. I bring you good news of great joy unto you. A child is born in the city of David. Who is this child? A savior. And now adults, I'm going to speak a little bit even more to you. This savior, why do we need saving? If you were to answer that question with some big Christian words like forgiveness, redemption, justification, you would be right, okay? Yes, Jesus goes to... The, the most important tree when he grows up in history and he accomplishes all that, forgiveness, redemption, and justification. But I want to ask this question. Is redemption, justification, forgiveness, is that enough? You might think, well, sure, it's amazing. But guess what? Forgiveness, redemption, justification turn out not to be enough for God. He wants more. He desires for us to have great joy. And he's chosen not just to forgive you, not just to, to say you've ruined it, we'll see if we can fix it. He's chosen to adopt you into his family as a son and a daughter. See, John, what First John says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we shall be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is good news of great joy. J.I. Packer says it this way. Adoption. This news of adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than being justified. God takes us in as his family. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. And I would say at the heart of the Father sending Jesus. To be right with God, the judge, that's a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by the Father, that is even greater. That is good news of great joy. So over the last four weeks, as this church family, we've been talking about joy. And some of our brothers have led us to this reality that we can't even begin to talk about joy without recognizing that we have deep longing. Such a great way to frame December. That joy and longing go hand in hand. In fact, for centuries, the church has celebrated two things around this time. The season of Advent and then the season of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas is not just a song. It's a season that begins tomorrow. 
And if Advent is a time when we practice this patient waiting for joy, joy is like pregnant. We're waiting for it. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Over the last month, it's good to feel all the longings. Things are not as they should be. Maybe you felt that this week. We feel the loss of loved ones. We feel sinned against or betrayed. Or we feel the shame of, of our own sin. So we cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But tomorrow, Advent is over and Christmas begins. And Christmas is a time where we practice the possibility of joy now. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So I invite you, family, over the next 12 days, over the next season, enjoy. Enjoy God, the Father. Enjoy Jesus. Is that a command or permission? This is my last thought. It's both. It's both. We don't, hey kids, kids, do I have to command you and tell you you have to eat your chocolate and your stocking? No. I do? No. You just need permission, right? You don't need to be told you have to. You need permission. That is, on, on the one hand, that is all this is. Permission to enjoy that the Lord has come, that we have a Savior. But on the other hand, it is a command. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Maybe a strange command. But similarly, with our kids, over the next few days, if your kids are hungry... You might not say, stop being hungry, but you might command them, tell them, well, go, feast on some leftovers. This is a time, if you're hungry, feast. My invitation, the command is, family, if you lack joy right now, feast on someone good. Feast on Jesus. Indulge over the next few days on his person because he has come. G.K. Chesterton says, he basically says, this is my simple phrase, that joy after Christmas is our new MO. It's our new state of being. He says, there's a little bit of a mouthful, but I think it's worth it. He says, man is more himself, man is more manlike when joy is the fundamental thing in him. When grief is just momentary. Melancholy should be an innocent interlude, a tender and fugitive frame of mind. Praise is the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live. If you haven't been with us the last four weeks, you might think I'm downplaying the brokenness in this world. No, we recognize there is longing. But post-Christmas... And post-Easter, we have the possibility of joy. One last time. What are we shouting from the mountain, kids? Good news of great joy. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come up here. We're going to sing about this moment and the possibility of joy.